This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Wildfires continue to ravage southern France, Portugal, Spain, and North Africa, as well as parts of Croatia, Greece, Italy, and Turkey. Temperatures have soared above 45 degrees Celsius in several places, intensifying fears about climate change. Thousands of people have been evacuated from their homes in the French department of Gironde, in Spain's province of Malaga, and in parts of Morocco. No respite is expected over the next few days. Britain has issued its first-ever extreme heat warning. A spokesman for Ukraine's military intelligence agency has said Russia is preparing for the next stage of its offensive in the country. He said that, besides missile attacks from land and sea, shelling has continued along the entire front line. On Saturday, Russia's defense minister, Sergei Shogu, ordered units to ramp up attacks in order to preempt Ukrainian strikes on occupied areas. The crash of a large cargo plane in Greece has raised fears of toxic fumes billowing in the area. Greek media reported that the plane, operated by a company based in Ukraine, was carrying around 11 tons of, quote, dangerous materials, including explosives. Fire engines were not able to approach the site because of blasts that continued hours after the crash. Residents nearby were told to stay indoors. America's President Joe Biden returned from the Middle East after a summit with the leaders of nine Arab countries in Jeddah without securing public commitments, either on increased oil production or new regional security arrangements to counter Iran that would include Israel. But he said America would not cede the Middle East to China or Russia. Quote, the United States is not going anywhere. A G20 meeting of senior financial officials ended in Indonesia without a consensus on several important issues, such as whether future sanctions on Russian food shipments should be ruled out. America's G20 finance meeting in April also ended without a joint statement. Indonesia's central bank said that the finance chiefs discussed the war in Ukraine, high prices, and action to tackle climate change. Infuriating protesters, Raniel Wickremesinghe, Sri Lanka's acting president, was nominated by its ruling party for the permanent job. He would replace Gotabaya Rajapaksa, who last week fled to Singapore after mass protests and resigned. Mr. Wickremesinghe is likely to face several challengers when nominations are submitted on Tuesday. European leaders have congratulated North Macedonia after its parliament voted to approve proposals that will allow it to open negotiations on accession to the European Union. North Macedonia was one of six countries in the Western Balkans that have been candidates for EU membership for nearly two decades. Talks have been blocked by a long-running dispute with Bulgaria over history and language. And word of the week, post-quantum cryptography. New encryption mathematics that outpaces the capabilities even of quantum computers. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. An ugly fight for Wisconsin. For the Democratic Party to improve its hold on America's Senate in November, it needs to win Wisconsin. On Sunday, Democrats vying for the party's nomination will hold a debate ahead of the primary election in August. In Wisconsin, which narrowly voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and then for Joe Biden in 2020, a good Democratic candidate should have a chance. But the fight for the nomination has turned ugly. 
Mandela Barnes, the state's 35-year-old lieutenant governor, has led the polls for months. But Alex Lazary, the 34-year-old son of a billionaire hedge funder, has spent $6 million of his own money catching up. Mr. Barnes is a progressive who rails against, quote, millionaire politicians. Mr. Lazary is more centrist. Whoever secures the nomination will face Ron Johnson, the Republican incumbent who says that climate change is a hoax and COVID-19 is better tackled with deworming tablets than vaccines. The Democrats have made the race to unseat Mr. Johnson tougher than it ought to be. Sunday Night Tory Vision The five remaining contenders vying to succeed Boris Johnson as leader of Britain's Conservative Party and with it Prime Minister of the country will face each other in a televised debate on Sunday evening. The contenders are Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, Rishi Sunak, a former Chancellor, Tom Tugendhat, the Chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, Penny Mordaunt, a Trade Minister, and Kemi Badenoch, a former local government minister. The first debate was held on Friday, and the last one will take place on Tuesday. The candidates should expect to be grilled on Britain's battle with inflation, the war in Ukraine, and how they can restore trust to British politics after Mr. Johnson's scandal-hit tenure. Although all Britons can tune in to see their future leader, most will be powerless to vote. That right belongs only to Conservative MPs, who this week will whittle down the contenders to a final two and then around 180,000 members of the party who will be balloted to choose a winner over the summer. Follow the Conservative Party Leadership Contest with our interactive tracker. North Carolina Goes Hollywood Any folksy, romantic, American bestseller is bound to be made into a movie, but not necessarily a noteworthy one. The Horse Whisperer or The Bridges of Madison County are two forgettable examples. The latest is Where the Crawdads Sing, an adaptation of Delia Owen's debut novel. The book has sold over 12 million copies since its publication in 2018. The inevitable film, produced by Reese Witherspoon, is out in America now and in Britain on July 22nd. Daisy Edgar-Jones, the British star of Normal People, a television series, plays Kaya, a poetic loner who grew up alone in a North Carolina marshland. In 1950s flashbacks, her abusive father abandons her. In 1969, she is tried for the murder of her ex-boyfriend, another Brit, Harris Dickinson. Most of the novel's mystery plot has survived the transfer to the big screen, but little of its much-praised authenticity. The film makes life in a backwoods shack seem like an idyllic glamping holiday. Such is Hollywood. Cold War Games on a Summer's Day Fifty years after it was played, actors in London will recreate one of the most famous chess games in history. In the 1972 World Championship, Bobby Fischer, an idiosyncratic American prodigy, played Boris Spassky, a Russian who shunned the Communist Party. After 21 games, Fischer convincingly defeated the defending champion, thus ended 24 years of Soviet dominance. Chess was a political game during the Cold War. Both players were under huge pressure to win. Henry Kissinger, later America's Secretary of State, encouraged Fischer to play. 
Mr. Spassky, whose loss irked the Kremlin as much as his sympathy for dissidents, emigrated to France four years later. Game three of the match will be commemorated during Chess Fest, held in Trafalgar Square on Sunday by actors playing the 32 pieces. The American lost the first game and controversially forfeited the second, so his win in the third proved a turning point. Fisher died in 2008, but Mr. Spassky can still enjoy the show. Weekend Profile Penny Mordant, Britain's next Prime Minister? Penny Mordant has emerged as the bookie's favorite to succeed Boris Johnson as leader of the Conservative Party and thus as Britain's Prime Minister. Last week, she finished second in the first two ballots of Conservative MPs who next week will whittle down the five remaining candidates to a final pair. The party's 100,000 or so members will then have the final say, with the winner to be announced in early September. If Ms. Mordant makes it that far, she stands a good chance of triumphing. Separate surveys conducted by Conservative Home, a grassroots website, and YouGov, a pollster, found that she is the favorite among party members. Yet, Ms. Mordant is unknown outside Westminster. What do the Tories see in her? Ms. Mordant was born in 1973. Her mother died when she was 15, and her father, a former paratrooper, fell ill the following year, leaving her to care for her younger brother until her father remarried. She worked as a magician's assistant to help fund her philosophy studies at the University of Reading. When she joined the leadership race, Ms. Morden said her, quote, love and pride of Britain was kindled as a nine-year-old in Portsmouth, as she watched the Navy set sail for war in the Falklands. Her naval interest seems preordained. She was named after HMS Penelope, a cruiser. She serves as a Navy reservist and was elected as the Conservative MP for Portsmouth North in 2010. Ms. Morden's supporters say her rise reflects the party's appetite for change after the scandal and decadence of Mr. Johnson's tenure. They describe her as hardworking and dutiful, provincial rather than metropolitan. She supported Brexit but is not fervent about the divorce. In, quote, Greater, Britain After the Storm, a book she co-authored last year, she offers an affectionate portrait of modern Britain as a good-humored land of the NHS, pubs, and the Human Rights Act. Her policies tend to focus on local communities rather than grand national ideas. One of her ideas is for MPs to be given pots of money to distribute to good causes in their constituencies. She would like to see a bigger role for charities and for the volunteers who rallied during COVID-19 to be put to work permanently. The video that announced her candidacy was subject to much mockery in Westminster. It featured rolling shots of Britain set to I Vow to Thee My Country, a patriotic ditty. Party members were not so sniffy. Ms. Morden's ideological ambiguity has made her an attractive default candidate for MPs who dislike Rishi Sunak, the former chancellor and current frontrunner, and Liz Truss, the foreign secretary, her main rival for that second place. Yet even her supporters admit she is untested, and that the success of her notional premiership would depend on whether she would be prepared to appoint strong rivals to big posts, or rely on yes-men as Mr. Johnson did. Follow the Conservative Party Leadership Contest with our interactive tracker. The winners of this week's quiz Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. 
The winners chosen at random from each continent were Asia, Unmesh Sharma, Mumbai, India. North America, Robert V. Johnson, Hinsdale, United States. Central and South America, Jose Miguel Reed, Santiago, Chile. Europe, Fred Chambers, London, United Kingdom. Africa, Madeline Wackernagel, Naramuro, Kenya. Oceania, Deborah Campbell, Clovelly, Australia. They all gave the correct answers of Johnny Ray, Graham Chapman, William Booth, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, and Cassius Clay. They all share names with assassins. James Earl Ray, Martin Luther King, Mark Chapman, John Lennon, John Wilkes Booth, Abraham Lincoln, Lee Harvey Oswald, JFK, and Cassius, Julius Caesar. And visit the Espresso app for our new weekend crossword, designed for experienced cruciverbalists and newcomers alike. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Billie Holiday, who died on this day in 1959. Somebody once said, we never know what is enough until we know what's more than enough. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.